morning, Crosspoint. Welcome. So glad to see everyone here. Happy to be here myself. And I want to welcome anybody who might be here for the first time. I know for, for sure that we have uh, at least a couple of people, one of them being just as special, but one of them being Ricky and CJ's brand new baby. He's here for the first time. Here at Crosspoint Christian Church, we believe in church growth at any cost. And so Whenever our young couples are having babies, that is a, such a blessing. And today we're going to talk about parenting, biblical parenting. So I'm really excited about that. Um, so welcome. If we don't have your information, if you're not receiving, there he is. If you're not receiving um, Crosspoint's newsletters, you're missing out on a lot of information that um, I think will be very helpful for you to be able to stay in touch and stay connected and be plugged in with Crosspoint. And so I'll be mentioning some of those things, but... Um, if you don't receive emails, just go to crosspointchristianchurch.com, scroll all the way down, and you'll see a real easy contact form to fill out, and then you'll be receiving our emails, uh, and I think that'll, that'll have to be very helpful to you. So, so let, me, let me mention a couple of things here. So welcome everyone, certainly the people watching us online, and... Um, we, we, again, look forward to seeing everyone. It seems like our, our uh, place here is getting a little fuller, a little more fuller every week, and so we're looking forward to having everybody back. I'm excited at the fact that if everybody decides to show up uh, at once, we're not going to have enough chairs, and I would love to have to, uh, you know, submit a request to the elder board to say we need another 50 or 100 chairs, because that's about how many people we would have if everybody showed up. So uh, we're praying about that. I want to thank our worship team this morning. I know uh, we're missing some people for different reasons, but our Bible bowlers are out in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I think over a dozen of our young people are out there uh, with the Bible Bowl competition. So we'll see how, how, they, how they do, and uh, they should be back tonight. So keep them in prayer as well. So here are a couple of announcements. One, I see everybody a little bit... Uh, I shouldn't say anything. 5K run on Saturday. 5K run on Saturday. I'm really excited about that. If you're, if you're not a running person, you can still sign in, give your donation if you like, or just show up and help us uh, just volunteer. There's going to be a ton of things to do. So talk to Beatty for sure. You can talk to Matthew Pena as well uh, if you have any questions or reach out to them. So that's this Saturday early in the morning. I think registration starts at 630, but the run starts at 8. Uh, run slash walk. Just want to make sure everybody understands that. My Safe Harbor, this past Wednesday, we had an opportunity to, as we collaborate, collaborate with My Safe Harbor, we had a chance to take a group of about six, seven, eight of us, went down there and uh, participated in an event that they had for the women that they serve. It, it was awesome down in Anaheim. I, I, I didn't count how many women were there, but I, I would say maybe around 50-ish. And uh, we got a chance to serve them and... Um, and support the efforts that My Safe Harbor uh, take upon. So uh, thank you for those who participated. I think you, as, as we were blessed by having participated in that. And continue to pray for My Safe Harbor and the work that they do there. If you listen to KKLA 99.5, uh, you probably heard Pastor Mike on the radio. But most imp more importantly, I think... Uh, our church was being given all this airspace and announcements and advertising. So I thought that was really neat. 
um, hearing me on the radio and the fact that our group on Thursdays was recognized, they brought us lunch. So Kay Kelly has a thankful Thursday event. Damaris nominated me as a pastor. They chose our church, and so they brought us lunch, and then they interviewed me, and they've been playing that interview, uh, especially in the mornings. Donna Rush, who is the host for Kay Kelly in the morning, she's uh, been putting in some crosspoint plugs in there, so that's been really neat. If you don't, the, and partly the reason why I wanted to mention that is, one, because it's kind of fun, but two, if you don't know what KKLA is, that would be 99.5 FM on this thing called radio for some of you younger people. But you can download an app. You can download an app, KKLA app, and then you can listen to, I mean, I, I can't vouch for all the teachers that are there, but I would safely say that at least 90% of the teachers that teach there, that preach, are, are sound teachers. There are some of the best teachers I think that we have. Uh, biblical teachers are there on KKLA. There's other very good stations like uh, K-Wave and 107.9. And uh, if you like, you know, music, more like the fish. But I say that because I remember as a young person kind of getting away from secular music and radio and, and kind of spending a lot more time in Christian radio. I can sincerely say that my life changed when I started listening faithfully to all these uh, ministries and and and, and uh, preachers. Um, I'm going to mention focus on the family later. When it comes to parenting, I was a teenager and I was already listening to parenting advice from Dr. James Dobson, and I've been doing that for decades now, and I've I've seen how how much I've benefited from that. So all I'm saying is, if you don't listen to Christian radio, try it. 99.5. I would highly recommend. Take a take a listen, and if you have any questions, see me. All right. I'm excited about that. Lastly, what I'll say is that on March 5th, there's a men's event uh, sponsored by KMG, Kingdom Men's Gathering. That's Frank Sontag's um, ministry. Uh, we bought 30 tickets. Men, see me, first come, first serve. Tickets are $20, but if that's an issue, don't worry about it. The church will cover it, not a problem. Um, but we would love to at least take 30 guys on that on that weekend on this uh, men's event. It's from 8 in the morning to 1 p.m. See me about that. The sooner the better. I believe that's it. What I would like to do right now is take communion with you. If you did not grab one of these on your way in and you would like to participate in taking communion, the Lord's Supper, then uh, just raise your hand and, and Jason will come along and provide you one. And to do that, I want to take a look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And this whole section is super interesting. I'm going to try my best to just limit myself to what it pertains to us taking communion. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the king of kings of the earth. Speaking of Jesus, clearly, it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And I'm, I'm going to stick to that, but feel free to read at least till verse 8. Uh, and it, it talks about how he's going to come back. But here it says, Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says, Who loved us, and he demonstrated that love by washing us from our sins 
How? In his own blood. That is the gospel, beloved. That every person born in this, to this human race, with the exception of Jesus Christ our Lord, and we've gone through that because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of Mary, no human dad. He's the only exception. And of course, Adam being formed by God. Everybody else besides that, we are born with a sinful nature and we are born under sin. And as soon as we have an opportunity, we exercise that ability to sin. And then the Bible clearly declares us all sinners. And that's really bad news. The Bible says that the payment of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is the gospel. We're all sinners. We can't get rid of our own sin. We can't wash away our own sin. It requires death as a payment. And so what Jesus does at the cross of Calvary is he takes upon his body the penalty and payment for our sin. That's why he says he washed us from our blood Sorry, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's a really big deal. That cross behind me represents, tells of, reminds us of what Jesus did for us at the cross. What did he do? He took our place. He washed our sins away with his blood. He paid that debt with his very life. Awesome thing about him is that in a couple of months we'll be celebrating this. He didn't stay dead. But he resurrected by his own power, came back to life. So as we peel back the first layer and we take the bread, it's a very peculiar bread. It's different because it's unleavened bread. And unleavened bread represents or speaks of Jesus' sinless body. Let's take that together. As you peel back the second layer, you see the juice, which represents the very blood of Jesus Christ with which he washes us of our sins. We accept that by faith. We trust that what he did, he did out of love for us. Let's take that together. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for this beautiful morning. We're grateful for allowing us the opportunity to gather we thank you for everybody who's here and everybody who's watching online and everyone who will be watching via recordings. We pray, Father, for your blessing as we've taken this time aside to dedicate it to you. Help us to not be distracted. Help us to focus on what it is that you have for us this morning. We trust in your power and your grace and love. And Holy Spirit, we know you're here. We know you're always working. And through the message of the cross and the power of your word, we trust that you will continue to transform our lives. All for your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. Beloved, so what I want to do today is continue our messages out of the gospel according to Luke. We are zooming through Luke because today we're going to finish chapter 2. That's... That's unbelievable, all right? We're doing chapter 2 today, and the title of this morning's message is Biblical Parenting. Biblical Parenting. I want to remind you that as, as you read the Bible, boy, I think everything that we need to know is in the Bible, truly. Um, 
I mean, I haven't studied everything from everywhere about everyone, but suffice to say that in, I, I find every answer in the Bible, including how, 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 do, I, how do I raise my children? W what is being a parent all about? And the Bible is full, full of great parenting, not just advice, but understanding that, that God is the one that allows us to be parents and he gives us the children that we have, I think it's, it's, it's just great. So biblical parenting. We're going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. And this is a story that Luke tells us about when our Lord Jesus Christ was 12 years old and they went to the temple in Jerusalem and Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. I was actually going to title my sermon when Jesus, when, sorry, when Joseph and Mary lost Jesus. But I thought that was a little weird as a, as a sermon title. Instead, we're going to say biblical uh, parenting. And we're going to take this story and, and draw from it some very important biblical principles when it comes to uh, parenting. Let me share with you a key verse. Psalms 127 verse 3. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. God puts a high value on children. Very high value. And a high value on parents' responsibility to raise them. But when it comes to children, if you remember the New Testament, when parents were trying to bring their babies, their children to the Lord so he would touch them and pray for them, and then the, the disciples were getting angry at those parents for trying to bother the Lord, and the Lord gets angry at them for not allowing those children to come to him. And Old Testament, New Testament, God puts a high value on, on children. And here at Cross Point Christian Church, we love children, especially the ones that run around and can't stay put. And those are the fun ones, but all children are great. Here's my main point this morning. Biblical parenting has God's glory as the goal. Biblical parenting has God's glory as the goal. So the question is, as we raise kids, children, what's, what's the goal? To make them happy? To give them everything we didn't have? Is it to make them successful? Is it to help them be all they can be? Like, what, what is it? And I'll tell you, our culture tells us all kinds of non-biblical uh, advice or things that we should consider as parents, and they're way off. And many times we buy into those. So I'm hoping that today's message would help us as parents. Now you might say like, well, not all of us are parents. Some of you guys are grandparents. Some of you guys have nieces and nephews. Some of you guys are teachers. Some of you guys are, you know, all of us, if we put a little effort, can be something very special for the children around us. They don't have to be your own. Or in fact, especially as a church, we should consider every child here our own. I mean, if we're brothers and sisters, then we should treat each other as such, as, as a church. And so, um, by way of introduction, let me say a couple of things. I know that when it comes to parenting, there's many times a, lot, a big sense of guilt and regret, sometimes shame. Um, and then in trying to hide those things, we try to pretend that everything's fine. And, you know, many times we, we wrap up our identity based on our children. And we find ourselves even doing things 
claiming to be doing them for our kids, but in reality, we're really doing them for ourselves. You know, I'm trying to help my kid get into the best school. Why? Because that'll make you look better? You know, I want them to get a degree. Why? They don't even want a degree. Maybe. And I'm not anti-schooling uh, anti, uh, or degrees. I would encourage kids to do well in school, go to college, find something great to do with your life as a vocation, and have options in your life. So I'm not anti-education and such. But I am saying that as parents, we need to be careful what we do with our children and why we do it. And I would submit to us that many times we find ourselves doing some weird things with our children, and it's not really for them, it's a lot more for us. And we gotta be careful with that. So what I would love to do this morning is to impart to you all my knowledge as far as parenting that I've acquired from being a child development major, 20 years of being a uh, public school teacher, having over a 1,000 students, everything that I've read in parenting books, the parenting conferences I've gone to, having listened to Focus on the Family and Family Life for years. I'm sure I've invested thousands of hours listening to parenting advice. After raising three great children and almost having been a perfect child myself, I want to impart all that info and all that knowledge and little wisdom in the next 24 minutes. So get ready. I'm going to throw so much information out there. I hope you're taking notes. But one of the things that I think would be very good for me to be able to share is as, as a parent or, again, if you have any dealings with children, um, last week we talked about humility. And, boy, when it comes to parenting, uh, humility goes a long way. Humility goes a long way, and we're going to see this. You know, one thing that you could do as a parent is be more humble, and you'll be a better parent. I was thinking about, I had a great time uh, preparing for this message because I was thinking all the, I love quotes. I remember being a teenager at church, maybe like on a Wednesday night, and my pastor of old would say things like, um, and again, I was a teenager, not married, nothing. And, and, and he would say things like, you know, as a parent, one of the best things you can do for your children is to love your spouse. And I bet you I have that written down in one of my notebooks. I used to take notes all the time. Isn't that awesome? For a teenager to learn that at church from his pastor, that he would say one of the best things that you can do for your spouse is, sorry, one of the things that you can do as a parent for your children is to love your spouse. I used to love that. Man, it's true, by the way. Okay. So, actually what I want to do is share with you, the wisdom really comes, my parenting wisdom comes from all the mistakes and my shortcomings as a parent, all right? I was kind of kidding about that. Uh, I do have a lot of experience with, with children, having taught and all that good stuff, but, but really you know, as I know, if you've raised children, children teach you a whole bunch, Right? Uh, I think there's a book out there called How Children Raise Us, uh, and, and it, it, it sure happens. So um, what I want to do then is Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, and I have four points that I want to share. I'm also going to share authors, people, organizations, 
uh, books that I think will be very helpful because I think one of the things that I would highly encourage any parent, any new parent, any current parent, possible grandparent is be a life learner. Be willing to be open to other people's advice, especially biblical advice about parenting. None of us know everything. None of us even know a whole lot. And I, and I say that with all respect. I know there's a lot of people here that maybe, I know there's a lot of teachers and, you know, very experienced parents. But I think we got to be humble enough to say, I, I don't know a whole lot. There's a lot more for me to learn. And the more I learn and apply, the better my children will be, my nephews, my grandchildren, and the kids in my community or whatever. That's what we got to be as Christians. Be the light. Let's be the light. And we can do that towards children. So Joseph and Mary's parenting shows is what we're going to base our four points. Um, we're going to complete that phrase. Joseph and Mary's parenting shows. Point number one, it shows that they were committed. Let's read that. Uh, it shows that they were committed. So I'm looking at Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 41. And just 41 and 42, I was this close to just spending one sermon on this first verse. Because it says, his parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. I really wanted to spend a whole sermon on that one verse. And just share with you things like his parents. So I'm just going to share some things really quick here. Well, let me read the two verses that have to do with the first point, which is Joseph and Mary's parenting shows they were committed parents. It says, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. So just that very first verse has some things that I want to share with you. First it says, his parents. Beloved, who chose Jesus' parents? God did, right? I mean, Mary was doing her thing and getting ready to marry Joseph. Joseph was doing his thing, getting ready to marry. And then God sends Gabriel and says, I've chosen you. You're going to be the parents of my son. God chose Jesus' parents. And I will submit to you, who, che who chose your parents for yourself? God did. And for all the kids that are here, the young people, who chose your parents for you? God did. And then who chose your kids who, who chose the kids for you, parents? And the answer is God did. His parents. And I remember Luis Robles talking about this decades ago, talking to the youth. And I was there. And he mentioned how God in his sovereignty gave you the parents that he gave you. And how many of us are bitter, angry towards the parents that we got? And, and some of us justifiably so. But to be able to trust in God's sovereignty, listen to what I heard from R.C. Sproul this week. He has since passed away a couple years ago, but R.C. Sproul, great teacher, and he said, you know, he's a big-time theologian, and he would say, you know, most people that claim to be Christians would, would say that they trust or they believe in God's sovereignty, that God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. He goes, but those same Christians that claim to be Believers in God's sovereignty, when it comes to practical things in their life, you know, they do something. It's like they take, they, 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 they put God's sovereignty on hold on the shelf to be able to deal with their issues. I don't know if you understand that, but that means hey, if I understand and believe that God is sovereign and in control of everything, then I'm not going to complain about who my parents are or who my kids are. Why? Because God gave me those kids or God gave me those parents. 
And it is for us to find out, why did God do that? Did he mess up? Oh, he gave everybody else the right parents and the right kids, but boy, he must have messed up when it came to my kids or my parents. I can't elaborate too much on that, but really think about that. I think that's pretty deep. Your kids, your grandkids, your nephews, God gave you those for a specific reason. And I get emotional about that as I think about my kids. I'm not going to complain about my kids. I'm going to say, why did God give me these children and how? With what he's done for me and given me, how am I supposed to use that to benefit them spiritually so that they can be children or grown up when they grow up, people that love, serve, and honor God? And God did not make a mistake with your parents and your children. And, and I say that understanding that maybe some of us had some rough upbringings. And I don't know why that was. But God did not make a mistake. So, but you see, that was just like the first word in verse 41. Uh, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. That tells me these were committed parents. They weren't wishy-washy believers. If, if the law demanded something of them, they did it. They were committed to God. And then later on when, he, when Jesus is 12, and no doubt by this time, my assumption is, because the Bible says that the Lord had at least four brothers and at least two sisters, that's at least seven children. When Jesus is 12, it's very possible that Joseph and Mary already had seven kids under the age of 12, and there they were taking everybody to Jerusalem from Nazareth and Galilee because it was the right thing to do, and they were committed parents, committed to the Lord, and they were committed to their family. I'll share with you the first book, Vodi Bakum's book called Family Driven Faith. Vodi Bakum. If you're not familiar with Vodi Bakum, I would personally suggest that you familiarize, familiarize yourself with him. It's called Family Driven Faith. Joseph and Mary were committed parents. They went to the temple in Jerusalem. They took their family, and they did it every year as they were supposed to. I think there's a lot of application for that, right, beloved? And this is not me trying to give anybody a guilt trip, but you know what we need to be if we're going to be good parents? We need to be committed individuals, committed to God first, and our commitment to God is our commitment to our children. And there's... Bring it down as practical as you want. But I'll say this. You need to be at church every Sunday. With very few exceptions. Be committed. How are you going to teach your children to be committed if you're not committed? I might someday write some books. I got some good ideas every once in a while. But you know, when it comes to parenting, you know what I find to be difficult in parenting? When I try to have my children become something I'm not. Hey, why can't you do this? And I could just see them, because you don't do it. Why aren't you more like that? And I could just imagine them saying, like, because you're not. And you're going to find that your most frustrating times as a parent is when you're trying to make your kids be someone that you are not. Who you are is what you teach. Who you are is what you parent, what you teach your children. Who you are, not what you say, 
Boy, kids are smart. Trust me. Your kids know you better than you think they know you. Joshua 24, verse 15, we've read this before, talking about commitment. Joshua, in his last days, tells the nation of Israel, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm committed to serving the Lord. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what the government tries to tell me. When it comes to parenting, God gave me those children. He expects me to raise them for his glory, period. Joseph and Mary's parenting shows that they were committed individuals, committed to God, to the law of God, and to their family. Beloved, we need to be committed individuals. Point number two, Joseph and Mary's parenting shows that they were common. They all start with the C, and I don't want to, like, make it seem really bad here. But they were common parents or normal parents. It's just that all my points start with C, so I had to come up with something. They were common parents. They weren't, like, special. Well, they were, in many ways, very special, of course. And what really made them special is their child, Jesus but they were common parents, normal parents. So I'm going to read verses 43 to the beginning of verse 45. What do I mean by that? I love this point right here. It says, 43, And when they had finished the days they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Oh, boy. Verse 44, But supposing him to have been in the company, they were a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, so yes, in essence, Joseph and Mary lost Jesus for three days. They didn't know where he was. They, suppo- they, they went to the feast, and on their way back, they would travel in, in with their relatives and their acquaintances, a big party, a big caravan, and they assumed that Jesus was with somebody else. Jesus being 12 years old, being the oldest, you know, them having maybe most likely multiple children around to take care of, little ones to carry and feed and protect and all that. They figured Jesus is very responsible. Uh, I mean, he's never done anything wrong. I'm sure he's fine, right? And a day later, or once a day's journey, which is normally about 20 miles, they, re- they, they start thinking like, hey, so... Uh, what about Jesus? Joseph, have you seen him? Like, no, I thought he was with you. Oh, I'm sure he's with his cousins. Mm, no, he's not there either. Has anybody seen Jesus? Oh, beloved. I'm sure if, if we were to survey a crowd this size, you would have some stories to tell about, you know, some of the mistakes you made with your kids. Like the time you didn't actually forget them. They just... You wanted to teach them a lesson, maybe. But we probably all have stories like that. But I love the fact that Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. That's what they did. Then they assumed, and there's so much as, as, you know, for parenting advice. I would say this, parents, don't assume anything. You don't have the luxury to assume when it comes to your kids. Oh, I'm sure they're fine. I'm sure their friends are good kids. Oh, I'm sure. No, make sure we don't have the luxury to assume anything. Oh, my kids, 
have grown up in church. I would say, so? What is it that you're assuming? That they're Christians because you've had them at church every Sunday the last 14, 15, 16 years? Don't assume. Do not assume. Uh, one of the things that I did in, in researching this, they say that between 70 and 88% of kids that profess to be Christians that have grown up in the church, by the time they're in high school, they will walk away from their faith or from the church, from the church. 70 to 88%. I read that in Vody Bacchums, and that statistic has been around. You know what that tells me? That tells me there's been a lot of assuming in the part of the parents. Oh, well, he got baptized, or he professed, or he prayed, and he sometimes does. Don't assume. Don't assume. So they lost him. I would, I would share with you that um, they were common parents or normal parents. And I wanted to develop this a little bit, just talk a little bit about how, many, how we as parents make mistakes. Like, let's get that out there. There are no perfect parents. Because there are no perfect humans. There certainly aren't any perfect children and no perfect people that are parents. And, and man, if you're stuck in that, I want to appear like I'm a perfect parent or I don't want anybody to know that my kid does this or does that, you're doing yourself and the kingdom a big disservice. We all make mistakes. There are a ton of things. Not only that I know I should have done different, I know a ton of things that I should be doing different right now as a parent. And guess what? I still don't do them. I find myself like Paul. The things that I know I'm supposed to be doing towards my children, man, I find myself not doing them. And the things that I don't want to do, like being critical and judgmental, I end up doing those. What in the world? So let alone the mistakes in the past, you got to let those go. But repent from that, confess it, and then deal with the stuff you have in front of you now. I would love for everybody to be in a growth group, and in your growth group, hopefully there's other parents and other people that you can share some of whatever maybe God is bringing to mind right now and confess that to one another and share that because there's so much power in that. Again, there's all this shame and guilt when it comes to parenting in all of us, and the more you just keep it inside, the more it hinders us from becoming what God wants us to be. Find somebody. If you're really having a hard time with what I'm saying, maybe God is just doing something inside of you there, bringing things to mind, find somebody that you can share with. And hopefully you'll find somebody who's sympathetic and compassionate because we're all the same. We're all the same. Common parents. Oh, boy. So I made a list of just people that I knew in the Bible that had a hard time with their kids. And Adam's son killed his brother. Abraham's firstborn, Ishmael, was a little punk. Noah's, one of, three, one of his three sons, did some weird stuff after the flood. David had one of his sons wanting to kill him and another one of his sons raped his sister. Samuel's kids were messed up. Aaron's kids were killed by God by fire from heaven. Eli's kids, the priest, 
Like, what happened there? Bad parents. Now, beloved. Boy, I, I, I made a list of, you know, lies that parents believe. And I don't have time to share that, but things that we believe like, oh, you know, kids nowadays. Nowadays? Kids nowadays are just as sinful as they were 4,000 years ago. You know? Oh, you can't discipline children nowadays. Says who? Oh, kids nowadays have a very short attention span. Not mine when they're in front of a screen. Like, hey, it's been three hours. You okay there? Yeah, just getting started. Wow. Such focus. You got to be careful with all these lies that we believe, beloved. You got to go back to Scripture and see what God says about children, parents, and how we're supposed to deal with them. But find comfort in knowing that, boy, if you've made some mistakes, so did Joseph and Mary. And that wasn't their only mistake, I'm sure. And everybody else in the Bible who's been a parent has made mistakes. You don't need to live with the shame or the guilt. Jesus died for all that. All of our shortcomings as parents. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Wow. Why would Paul be so silly and say that to Christian parents? Doesn't he know that Christian parents will never make their children angry? He's speaking to us. Parents, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You know any discouraged kids? We all do. Point number three, Joseph and Mary's parenting shows not only that they were committed, not only that they were common parents, but point number three, that they were caring. So what did they do once they found out that he was missing? Probably what every, just about every other parent would have done. Verse 45, the second part says, um, they returned to Jerusalem seeking Jesus. Now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple after three days. They found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at the understanding and his answers. So they showed that they were caring parents. Yeah, it would have been a little weird if Luke were to tell us like they realized he wasn't there and they just kept going so that he would learn a lesson. He knew we were leaving. He knew the feast was over. He knows he's supposed to be with his parents. You know, that's on him. He's 12. But they went back, and they looked for him. And, and as a parent, can you imagine not being able to find your kid? On top of that, it's like it's God's son that we lost. We could have lost the other one. Anyone? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it was Jesus we lost. They went back. They sought him for three days, and they found him in the temple. And... This reminded me of uh, the father of the prodigal son. Ooh, which I can't even think about without getting emotional. But here's his dad, Luke chapter 15. Read that on your own. But when his son comes back, before he even arrives, verse 20 says, And he, the dad, rose, arose and came to his father 
sorry, the, the, the prodigal son arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He could have done so many other things. What did I tell you? I knew it. Now what? He doesn't even let him speak. He hugs him, kisses him. That boy stank. He was among the pigs. And, and, and Jesus tells this story, which we'll get to later in maybe a couple years when we get to chapter 15. But it, Jesus is, is, is telling that story to talk about his father's love towards us. And so they were, they were caring parents. Gary Chapman has a book called uh, The Five Lang Love Languages for Kids or of Kids. I was reading that. I was looking at that. It's so convicting. That might be something you want to take a look at. You probably think you're a caring parent, and chances are you are. But do your children perceive you to be that? I think is the question. If you're saying, like, well, I get up and go to work every day, that's awesome. But maybe your kid needs a little something in addition to that. The Five Love Languages of Children by Gary Chapman. In point number two, when, when the common parents, I was going to share with you Kevin Lehman's book called Have a New Kid by Friday. Huh? Have a New Kid by Friday? Um, so that's Kevin Lehman, Have a New Kid by Friday. I'll, I'll, spoiler, it all has to do with you changing your attitude and how you deal with your kid, and then you'll get a new kid. Instead of like hoping you get a new kid, the answer is you become different and your kid will become different. And then point number four, Joseph and Mary's parenting shows that they were committed, that they were common, made their mistakes, that they were caring, they went back and sought Jesus. And number four, that they were courageous. Dr. Dobson has a book called Dare to Discipline. Dare to Discipline. And he talks about parenting is not for cowards. Ooh. Um, Proverbs 22.6. Well, let me read Luke 2, 48 through 52, what do I mean by they were courageous? And verse 48 says, so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. So the fact that she brought it up to him and said, why did you do this? This wasn't right. That was very inconsiderate of you. We're still your mom and your dad. Because knowing that he is the son of God, knowing that he's teaching the religious leaders at 12, they know Mary, over and over in the Bible, if you've been reading, it says she kept these things in her heart. Mary was very uh, perceptive. And when she heard things from the shepherds, when she heard things from Simeon and Anna, she would just keep things in her heart and say, like, what in the world? Like, what am I dealing with here? And when he sees him, she goes out and brings it up to his attention. Now, I know the Holy Spirit did not give me this one, but you know why we know that she, Mary was not Hispanic? <laughs> there is no sign of the chancla. I'm sorry, that, that's really bad. I think a Hispanic mom or, would have acted a little bit differently. Three days and you've been right here? I'll show you something. You would think about doing that again. She knew it was Jesus, son of God. So she wouldn't have done that. I'm a little over time here, but they were courageous. 
I remember Dr. Dobson, I learned this so long ago. Parenting 101, establish your authority as a parent. You're the parent. Boy, if one thing is obvious in our culture is that so much more power is being transferred to the kids. You have a two-year-old hitting mom at 7-Eleven because she's not buying him something. Parents don't want to go to the market because, oh, my kid just throws a tantrum. There's nothing I can do. There's lots you can do. But if you buy into this idea that your child is good, comes into this world as a blank slate, remembering my child development, cognitive development classes, theories. You know what the Bible says? He's not a blank slate. He's born a sinner. And sinners do what sinners do. And the Bible says things like Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Read all of Proverbs 26. You'll see some very interesting verses there. Proverbs 13.24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. An undisciplined child will bring shame to his parents, Proverbs says. How do you discipline? Oh, boy, that's why you got to read those books. You want to be careful. You want to be wise. You want to be instructed on how to raise your children. And don't feel like it's a very arrogant thing to not be open to parenting advice. You know, that's why it's good for you to hang out with other people, see how they treat their kids. Because otherwise, all you're going to know is you're going to raise your kids the way you were raised, and that may or may not be the best way. They were, but they were courageous. And Dr. Dobson, Dare to Discipline, great book. Um, but they were courageous. They said that what you did was not right. For three days, we were in anguish, stressed. We didn't know where you were. Did I finish reading that? I don't think I finished reading it. Let me finish reading it. So he says, verse, verse 49... He says, your father and I have sought you anxiously, and, and he, Jesus, said to them, why did you seek me? Very interesting. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which, with which he spoke to them. So apparently the Lord was ready to cut ties with most Joseph and Mary. He was 12 after all. He was perfectly happy at the temple. And yet... I think this speaks volumes of Joseph and Mary as parents. Verse 51, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Seemed like the Lord was saying, why, why, he did say that, why are you looking for me? You don't need to look for me anymore. You don't have to take care of me. You could have just left me here, he says. And Mary and Joseph are looking at each other like, what is he talking about? Why would he say that? And yet, the Lord goes down back to Galilee and Nazareth and is subject to his parents. Hmm. They didn't have to take out the belt? Of course, Jesus was perfect as well. I'll say this last, I think, nugget of wisdom, which is rules without relationship leads to rebellion. I heard that one from Josh McDowell. I don't know who he heard it from. 
But as parenting, you want to have all these rules, but the relationship is not there, guaranteed it's going to lead to rebellion. There's lots of ways of raising children, and there's lots of ways to make children do things. Not that long ago, the youth group leadership, we read a book called, I think it was called Born to Lead, John MacArthur, and basically it says leadership is all about influence. You can make kids do certain things until a certain extent, until they get just old enough and they can say, like, you know what, I'm tired of doing things that you make me do. I'm going to do my own thing. So rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And I think here we see the Lord being willing to continue to be subject to Joseph and Mary. And no doubt they were, they were good parents. They were common parents, but they were caring parents. They were committed parents. And that allowed the Lord to flourish in his home under uh, the authority of Joseph and Mary. Boy, that was a lot of stuff. Felt like time flew and we went over time, but I hope that a message like this would encourage us in some of these examples that we talked about, but understanding that there's so much to learn. There are no guarantees in parenting. Um, nobody has perfect children or nobody's a perfect parent i would love for us to be a community where we could be transparent and just say look i'm struggling I'm, I'm having these issues with my kids or my grandkids or my spouse and i encourage you to reach out to myself any of the elders growth group leaders there's a ton of people that i'm proud and happy to say that are here that will be more than willing to help and assist in whatever you got going on all kids here, from little children, from babies, toddlers, the youth, the young adults, they're all our kids. Let's work together to honor God and as we raise godly children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to you again for allowing us this time to spend time in your word. Um, this example of, of good parenting by Joseph and Mary, um, having been given this amazing task to raise your son father but at the same time we realize that these children that you've given us are precious in your sight and in ours and so we want to do a good job we pray for forgiveness for the mistakes that we've made whether in ignorance or even um, intentionally perhaps we pray that you would heal all of us from the guilt from any shame, from our parenting mistakes. Help us to be honest about our situations. Help us to be willing to help one another, encourage and support one another in this parenting task. For all the children that you've blessed us with around us, whether here at church, at home, in our community, at work, our coworkers' children, give us a heart of compassion towards that and a willingness to do what we can to point people to the cross of Jesus for salvation and growth.